G'day and welcome back to Australian Migration Unplugged, the podcast about Australian immigration brought to you by Migration Solutions. I'm your host, Mark Glasbrook, and I started working in the migration profession in 1998 and first became registered as a migration agent and founded Migration Solutions in 2001. If you have any questions about Australian immigration, including visas, employer-sponsored migration, cancellations or appeals, talk to Migration Solutions today. G'day, it's Mark Gladsbrook and Lyndall Sterenberg. That's the correct oh, pronunciation. Yes, I is. think I've never actually addressed you fully with your entire name ever. <laughs> I don't think so. I've just got a surprise look on my face. Oh, you have. <laughs> anyway, we're here today to talk about what we might expect in the 2021-2022 migration program year. Very interesting. The results have come out from last year, the 2020-2021 migration program report, which has a look at permanent residency visa grants. And there was an increase in that, and we'll talk about that a little bit shortly. But um, will we see an increase again this year? Will we see an increase in applications being made or invitations being issued by the Immigration Department? Who knows? And you know, what changes can we expect in the 2021-2022 migration program? That's right. I don't know, but we might hypothesise a few things in this podcast. So let's look at the department's 2020-2021 migration program report that was recently released. What does it tell us, Mark? Yeah, well, firstly, if we're going to have a look at what we can expect in the future, we really need to go back and look at what's happened in the past. And to do that, we can have a look at the 2020-2021 migration program report. It's a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, we're Uh, bound to make mistakes. Yeah. (laughs) But it's certainly very interesting reading and looking at the total number of visa grants, it was up from 140,000 the previous year to 160,000, which was an increase of 14%. That's a pretty significant increase, 14%. But if we look at South Australia's results, permanent residency grants fell by 18.6%. Hold on. So the nation was up 14%. And South Australia was down 18.6%. Our lowest result of permanent residency visa grants in South Australia for over a decade. Wow. Yeah, and when you couple that with overall population growth of 2,700 over 12 months, plus a decrease of 15% in 482 visa grants and a 40% decrease in 482 applications being made, which will feel in the next reporting cycle in terms of a decrease in 482 visa grants. Plus, if the Immigration Department and the Federal Government increase the TISMIT mm-hmm. from 53,900 up to 60, 70, 80,000, like some people are calling for, mm, we're going to see. Australia will be cactus. Absolutely. To use a technical term. <laughs> to, to be, yes, we will be cactus. So why is the nation up in South Australia down? Like, what's happening here that's not happening elsewhere? Look, it's 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 overall the structure of the migration program and what mm. changed back in 2016 with the Productivity Commission reports, recommendations that migration should be based on highly skilled migrants who earn more money and therefore pay a higher lifetime or make a higher lifetime tax contribution. What we see in South Australia is the type of jobs that are vacant that normally get filled through the migration program 
especially through demand-driven migration, are those that are around 50, 60, 70,000. They're not around the 80, 90, 100 plus thousand, which is where the focus of the migration program has moved to since that 2016 Productivity Commission report. I suppose the other thing that would surprise people that is that there's an increase in a year where we've had borders closed. So how does that work, Mark? So many people would just think, well, nobody's coming here. How can these things possibly increase? Yeah, well, very interesting. The majority of people who were granted visas out of that 160,000 were already in Australia. Right. So there's been 160,000 permanent residency visa grants. Those people are already here. So it's not going to have an impact on our overall population or population no. growth because they've already been counted. And really, probably no impact on jobs either because they've already got them. That's right. Yeah. They're, they're already here. <laughs> yeah, so it's so, a change in status of people who already live here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the department, if you go through the report and have a look, between skilled visas, family visas and parent visas, there's almost 300,000 people waiting for their visa to be processed. Close to 300,000 applications that have been made, 160,000 grants this year. So the department could almost close up completely, not accept any visa applications for the next two years, and still have enough visas waiting to be processed to run the whole program. But it's interesting because the Immigration Department only a number of years ago reduced the total number of permanent residency grants down from 190,000 to 160. Right. It was all part of the um, coalition's congestion-busting agenda to get people out of the cities and into the regions. At that time, they stopped processing applications from um, capital cities and started processing visas from regional Australia. And then all of a sudden there was a, an congestion increase in... somewhere else. They've just moved the congestion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that the department have got just such a, a big backlog of applications. Typically, when you see a big backlog of applications, programs change and it gets harder to lodge applications because the department don't want these continuing backlogs because it reflects poorly on the minister and on mm. the government. Yes, because people just assume inefficiency... Yeah. Or, or yeah, inappropriate resourcing yeah. in the department. And you see quite yeah. a lot of times in a lot of reports that are written, even the Joint Standing Committee on Migration, one of the recommendations there was that the department have more staff to process more visas quicker. Mm. But that can't be done because they can only grant 160,000 visas every year because that's the maximum number of visas that are allowed to be granted. Yeah. So you could double the number of staff. You're not going to increase processing times because... You've only got a certain number of visas that can be granted, and once you've hit that cap, then that's it. There's no more visas to grant, which is why there's such long queues or backlogs. Right. Something else that happened that was really interesting this year that I've never seen in over 20 years of doing migration work is that the split between skilled migration and family migration, which used to be two-thirds for skilled migration and one-third for family, family being parents and spouse visa applications, partner visas, has been changed to 50-50. So for the first time ever that I can remember, 50% skilled, 50% family. So well, that, doesn't that go against that um, the recommendation of the higher income targeting? It goes against that. It also goes against the way to look at the economic recovery of Australia post-COVID by looking at skilled workers, mm. well, you're giving away less skilled visas. And we'll, we'll go into the actual breakdown of who's been granted what within the skilled migration program, but they're going, the majority of applicants um, getting granted visas are business migrants and um, a big increase in global talent visas. 
global talent visas. It just seems such a small program, doesn't it? Yeah, but global talent. Um, I'm a little bit confused because there was discussions that there was going to be 15,000 visas within that program, but there was yeah. only 9,500 visas approved. But that's the visa where you've got to have a master's or a PhD or, or a highly skilled, yeah. highly qualified, and the potential to earn over $158,000 a year. Right. So that's part of that shift away from skilled migration across any salary range to that higher, higher, higher income where people are going to earn more money. Right, also likely to target the major cities. Correct, because yeah. there's not a lot of jobs in regional Australia, Tasmania, South Australia, Northern Territory that would fit into fit, that. Fit into that. Yeah. Sure, we've got um, sort of fintech and we've got space and defence and AI and blockchain and, and all of those emerging sectors, but there's just not as much activity in, in smaller capital cities that you'll find in big capital cities. So the majority of people that get those visas do end up going to Melbourne and Sydney, which is why we can see the increase to Melbourne and Sydney was up around 20% mm. in their migration program outcomes and, and Queensland as well, uh, whereas South Australia recorded that 18, 18.6% decrease. That's very, very bad for the South Australian economy. Sure is. So tell us about the skill streams. Like, what were the visa outcomes within that? Yeah, so we can have a look at the total number of visas that were granted was 79,620. Mm-hmm. So that's how many visas were granted. But there's still a pipeline, which is a backlog, of 97,000 applications. In addition to that, even though there were 79,000 visas approved, there was 94,000 applications made. So there was almost 15,000 more applications made than there were visas granted. So that pipeline gets bigger and bigger and bigger. that's right. So the department will want to restrict applications being made in order to clear out the backlog, especially Mm. because there's less places now because they gave more to family visas. Yeah, to the partners, yeah. Okay. Uh, But within that 79,000 places, the employer-sponsored category had 23,500 visa places issued. That's about 30% of the total skilled stream, not the whole program, just the skilled stream. So was that the biggest part of the skill stream? Uh, Yeah, it is, really, when you have a look at it. The other bigger parts are business and innovation. That's your business visas, 14%. That was 11,000 visa grants. Uh, As I mentioned before, there was just on 10,000 places within the global talent category, which was about 12%. State Territory nominated visa applications, which is where you're nominated by, say, the South Australian Government or, or um, the Queensland Government or even the, the New South Wales Government, not so much a regional program, that had uh, 14,000 places, so that's 17 to well, almost 18%. The regional category had an outcome of 17% um, at 13,500 places. The skilled independent. Now, that's really interesting. The skilled independent is the points test to visa program. Oh, right. That's normally the biggest program or one of the biggest programs. That dropped down to 9% and mm. had 7,000. So that's your accountants, your engineers, your uh, registered nurses did what was the biggest visa group that was granted or biggest occupation um, that was approved. So do you happen to know when these applications are put in, does the department say, right, we have to look at the skilled independent 
an amount of those first or do they divide them up or they just take the next application as it comes and divide they're divided up into programs yeah okay so they, they have these allocations that are set and then you get towards the end of the year and the government might go hey wow we've got a lot of state nominated independent applications that we didn't do yeah. or didn't get access let's swap that over to another program oh okay but i would imagine that for the 20 2021-2022 migration program year, it's going to be around the same amount. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the department's pipeline increased by 12%. There's, there's currently 97,000 people waiting for a skilled visa to be processed. Yeah, it must be a frustrating wait. Well, absolutely. And if, if there's, like last year, there was 94,000 applications made. Mm. So if there's another 94,000 applications made, but only 79,000 visas granted, that pipeline, by the end of this next program year and the program year runs the same as the financial year but the pipeline's going to be up to maybe 115 120,000 mm, that's right yeah so that will keep growing which is why i don't think that the skilled migration program is going to return back anytime soon to pre-covid levels mm. because the department aren't going to want a backlog now there's a simple way to get rid of the backlog and what's that's, that? That's Employ just, more people and grant more visas. Well, you, that, that, yeah. you would think so, but no. Is it that simple? No, well, it would be if there was enough spaces available. It's all about the demand spaces. and supply. Mm. And if more people are applying for visas than there are visas, there will continue to be backlogs. But we're only granting 160,000 visas a year and and we can see that south australia's percentage fell by 18.6 percent down to about nine thousand mm. now if we're really looking at the best way to stimulate economic growth to fuel australia's recovery after COVID, and maybe we should be looking at what canada are doing and what germany are doing which is significantly increasing the migration program and that would have a a number of benefits for a number of reasons number one more people coming here is going to increase the demand for goods and services, increase consumption expenditure. You might have 100 people moving out to regional South Australia to work in jobs where there's no one working there. That's 100 people earning 60, 70, $80,000 a year paying tax to the government. But the research that we're doing with BDO Econ Search at the moment has provisionally shown us that 100 people moving out to a regional area will actually create 150 jobs across all of South Australia. And that's in addition to the 100 that's in jobs addition. that they're having. Yeah. 100 jobs filled, 150 new jobs, 30 new jobs created in in, in Adelaide, CBD, mm. for university graduates to, to start working. Yeah, it's amazing. So this, this notion that migrants are job takers is completely not correct. Mm. Migrants coming in doing jobs that locals don't want to do they are making jobs. They are job creators. So this is going to be really interesting when the full research comes out. I'm really excited and, and looking forward to it. It's going to be very interesting. Mm. But back to the easiest way for the Immigration Department to clear out the backlogs and to assist with our economic recovery is simply to increase the number of permanent places that are available. We could increase it as a country from 160 up to 250,000 for the next you know, one, two, three, four years, that would make the department and the minister look exceptionally good because there'd be no backlogs. (laughs) Plus, we would see this 
economic stimulus mm. because there'd be more jobs created, there'd be more money circulating, there'd be a, a lot more taxes being generated and paid, new money coming into our economy, that there'd be no backlog in skilled migration applications, which means that the government could then introduce or issue more invitations. There'd be no backlogs in parent visas and there'd be no backlogs in spouse visas. They could clear their backlog within two to three years. That's something that has never happened in my time in the migration <laughs> industry, which is over 20 years, that the department have never had a clear... A clear, yeah, process today, get the outcome tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, Imagine. and also, yeah, processing times would be a lot shorter. You could mm. lodge an application and have a visa grant within... Two or three months. Mm, make people's lives much easier, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you're going to make a decision, okay, I'm living overseas, I've got qualifications and work experience that can get me to Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the US, or the UK, where yeah. am I going to go? Well, if I lodge an application to go to Australia, it's going to take me two to three years, or if I go to Canada, it's going to take me three to six months. Yeah. Guess where I'm going? That's right. Yeah, you know, so, cold winter wear. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you want to help the Australian economy recover from COVID and you're looking at migration as a way, as one of many ways mm. to do that, then the processing times of immigration applications is a significant component of that. Yeah. And also to attract more international students back. Students want that pathway to residency. They do. If they know that that pathway to residency is there... All they need to do is come and study certain qualifications and get the experience that's needed by business and industry. And there'll be the human accumulation points tested migration programs and also the demand driven programs. But if they exist and business and industry can access the program um, and, and international students and graduates can still find that pathway through to permanent residency, we will have record numbers of international students returning to Australia by the end of 2022, start of 2023. Yeah, it'll really be a huge step change. I, I think so. I think we just need to get through the next election. I mm. think it'd be um, political suicide for any state or federal um, party to come out and say, prior to an election, we are going to increase migration to 250,000 or more a year because the general consensus is that migrants take jobs. and. Why would you want migrants coming in, taking jobs from locals when there's such high unemployment of, of locals? I think that misconception's been outed during COVID though, because we've had significant job shortages, haven't we, across many industries? Well, yes, we have, but the legacy of that misconception- Job vacancies, I should say, not shortages. <laughs> plenty of jobs, yeah, yeah plenty absolutely. Of jobs. <laughs> You've got a lot of businesses that were normally, um, or would have normally done shutdown work and maintenance work last year that couldn't do it because borders were closed and there was a lot of lockdowns. This year, they're trying to play catch up. Mm. On top of that, they're planning for next year. You've then got the aging of our current workforce. There's a lot of tradies and apprentices that weren't able to finish their qualifications last year because of the interruption because of COVID. Mm. So there's been an impact on completion rates of a number of different training courses and providers. Then you've also got the government spending a lot of money trying to stimulate economic growth. So there's a lot of additional money that's that's now out in the economy being spent, which is creating more jobs. And we've got no backpackers and we've got no international students. Backpackers used to work in, in the regions to get mm. extra time to spend in Australia on a second or third year working holiday visa. They're no longer here. 
that's having a big impact on agriculture and horticulture and even on cafes and restaurants. And then with no international students, there's not as many people working in aged care and disability care. So mm. shortages are huge. If the government really is genuinely trying to improve the economy, then migration is a very, very simple and easy way of doing it as long as they do it right. That's right. So how should they do it right next year? Well, number one, (laughs) I think uh, increase the number of visas available from 160 up to 250. Mm -hmm. And I think if they... If they do that, then, you know, we could hope to see some changes to Section 48 and Regulation 2.12. We're always going to keep lobbying the Minister to Minister Hawke to try and influence reform and change to the migration program so anyone affected by Section 48 is able to lodge an application onshore. That should change regardless of COVID, but COVID has shown us that it is a problem. Yeah, so for those people listening who don't know anything about Section 48 Regulation 2.12, tell us what COVID's meant for those people who are affected. Yeah, so anyone in Australia who's had a visa refused or cancelled that currently holds a bridging visa can't lodge an application in Australia unless it's specified under Regulation 2.12. Spouse, partner visas, humanitarian visas or a medical treatment visa. What we're trying to advocate for or what we are advocating for and what we're trying to um, influence is the government adding skilled migration visas to Regulation 2.12. So anyone that's had a visa refused, they're in Australia but has been issued an invitation to apply for a permanent visa from the federal government, they should be able to lodge an application in Australia. Great idea, it makes complete sense. However, with 100,000 people already waiting for a permanent skilled migration visa, does the Immigration Department want to allow an additional 10,000 people lodging Mm. uh, an application onshore in Australia when they know they've already got an issue with supply and demand? Yeah. So that's a, that's a challenge. I would be hopeful that Section 48 or Regulation 2.12 would change. But when I look at these statistics and these figures, I can't see how the federal government would want to do it. You know, even if, even if the Minister Hawke, Alex mm. Hawke, said, I want this change, I think there'd be a lot of reluctance and pushback from the Immigration Department saying, look, Minister, if we do that, even though it's the right thing to do, if we do that... We're going to have bigger backlogs and that's going to make you look bad. That's right, because these decisions are often made based on numbers instead of people. 100%. And and it's the people who are affected. And we've done research. We had a survey recently out on people affected by Section 48 Regulation 2.12. We've got just over 300 responses. And some of those people have lived and worked in Australia for 5 to 12 years, haven't they? Yeah. And they're working on the front line in COVID and they're really desperate and suffering. And they've been given invitations to apply for permanent residency. So they're approved by the government. Yeah, they've been been identified as being the type of permanent skilled migrants that Australia needs Mm. to get through COVID, those frontline health workers. But they can't lodge an application unless they leave. And by leaving, they're they're losing the job where they're working, so the employers aren't going to be happy with that. They might be stuck outside of Australia for years before they can come back. Mm. And they're potentially exposing themselves and their families to COVID. That's right. And, yeah. and maybe going to a country where they've got no job, no support, no accommodation, mm. just to lodge that application for permanent residency. It just seems very strange. Very strange. Anyway, that's, 
the 2020 in a nutshell 2021 that's... migration report <laughs> It's, it right? is. It's a mouthful. It's um, again, yeah. We've got. We're now in 2021, so it's the 2021, yeah. 2022 migration program that's underway right now. The the figures and stats we've talked about are from last year, 2020, 2021. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, in terms of visa processing, visa grant, population. The next lot of ABS data on population growth will be out later this year, and that will be from the end of June. 2020 to June 2021 and uh, I would imagine that the number of people that would have left Australia during that period will be quite high compared Mm. to those people that arrived so I would imagine that we'll see a downward trend continue in Australia's overall population growth and at some stage the government are going to have to do something to attract people back And, and that's why I think after the election not before but after the election we'll see some discussions around um, some significant increases to the Australian Migration Program. And I look forward to it. All mm-hmm. those people that normally would have applied over the last couple of years that haven't been able to, we'll need them here. We'll need people in aged care, disability care. We'll need people, we'll need doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, allied health, construction trades, yeah. boilermakers, welders, CNC so when, machinists. When does the government normally announce uh, the following year's program places? That normally gets talked about later this year, early next year. They okay. they have a round of public consultation, which I'm sure is just tick a box. We've done that, uh, but this is what we're going to do anyway. <laughs> but based on numbers. Yeah, st- based on stats. numbers, yeah. I, I used to be very naive when I got involved with the migration program. I thought it was about people and I thought it was about businesses. Mm. Uh, it's not. It's about what's available within the migration program and um, what the overall objectives are, which at the moment are high-income earners. Mm. Um, that's, you know, again, why we've seen a decrease in migration outcomes in South Australia. But we'll talk about that more in, in upcoming that's episodes right. when we get our BDO Econ <laughs> search uh, results out. That'll be very interesting. And um, we've also got an upcoming podcast that looks at um, migration outcomes in more detail on a, uh, on a South Australian state-based model, I guess, outcomes. Uh, but it's very interesting because... You look at things like housing, I, I can't see how property prices keep going up when our population is going to be getting down. smaller. That's right. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. I hope yeah. you found that interesting. And uh, we look forward to joining you again or you joining us. Uh, Until next time. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. You've been listening to the Australian Migration Unplugged podcast brought to you by Migration Solutions. For more expert migration advice or assistance, head to www.migrationsolutions.com.au. And remember, if you have any questions about Australian immigration, including visas, employer-sponsored migration, cancellations or appeals, talk to Migration Solutions today.